Cut down on time at the airport. Introducing the ultimate airport experience by Menashe Sofer's Airport Service. It's the first of its kind. The VIP Meet and Assist Shuttle guarantees a completely stress-free traveling experience to and from Ben Gurion International Airport. Online at msoferairport.com. Tell them you heard about it on Israel National Radio. Menashe Sofer Airport Travel, Speed and Service. M-S-O-P-H-E-R airport.com. Shalom. Welcome to all lovers of God, Torah, and Israel. I'm Jim Long. And I'm Ray Patterson. And welcome to all you folks out there in Radio Land who are listening to the very first Noahide show ever on planet Earth. Well, yeah, it's called Noahide Nations, and we're right here on Israel National Radio. And, Ray, I, I don't know how to express my gratitude to, to people who uh, I'm always been big fans of. I'm big fans of, of uh, the people on Israel National Radio, and for some reason they've, they've uh, decided to let a couple of goyim come on their radio station and have a show. So I think surely the Mashiach must not be too far behind. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can't agree more, uh, Jim. In fact, uh, out at the conference in Florida, uh, being able to meet with uh, Yishai and uh, Malka and uh, Rabbi Richmond and to be able to talk about this opportunity uh, was just an, an amazing thing. And for me, inside, I felt the exact same way. I mean, we are not only living in the end times, but we must be very close to the Mashiach finally being anointed. When, when rather than saying hopefully it happens in our time, we can say that it did happen in our time. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, those, that sound that you hear right now, Ray, is the, is the footsteps of the Mashiach. And, you know, when I greeted everybody, Ray, with, with you know, all of those who, who love God, Torah, and Israel, uh, that's who we are reaching out to on, on this show right here on Noahide Nations every week. We want to reach out to those because the people that we want to talk to are people who, well, specifically, who want to know about the seven Noahide laws. But, you know, to even approach a listener like that, they have to love God. Secondly, they have to love Torah. And thirdly, they have to love the people of Israel. If those three components aren't uh, embedded in a, in a person, then I don't think we have any, uh, we, we, we can't help them. Because to, to love God is to want to, to, to know about his Torah. And, and to, to know his Torah is to believe in the entire Torah, both oral and written, and to believe that Israel was given this Torah and that it is the 613 laws which are given to the people of Israel to, uh, to learn and to live by, and then they're in turn supposed to turn back to the nations and teach us the seven specific laws that we are to learn. And, and you and I, Ray, we both know this, if the nations would, you know, we talk about these being sort of headlines or, or headings over uh, a vast number of laws that affect non-Jews. But we know that if, if people would just begin with these seven precepts, that world peace would, would break out everywhere. And I thought it would be a good, a good time here, Ray, to, uh, for you to tell everybody out there what these seven laws are. Well, the seven laws in their basic form are starting off with probably the single most important one, and that's not to commit idolatry. Amen. Also, we have uh, do not commit 
uh, adultery, but that is also expanded in the sense that you're not supposed to have uh, uh, irregular, promiscuous sexual relations of any kind, uh, not to commit theft, not to commit murder, uh, do not commit blasphemy against Hashem. Also, do not eat the limb of a living animal. And then also a positive commandment of setting up courts of justice in order to seek justice to uh, rule upon and see to it that the seven laws are implemented and followed. You know, Ray, some of the things that we hear from non-Jews who are drawn to Torah, and I think it's, it's actually the, the first sort of component that we uh, encounter uh, to those who are drawn to Torah, and, and, but they're afraid to make that leap out of out of an, another belief system, uh, which I will have to say right here now, most people that I've run into who become Noahides come out of Christianity. I came out of Christianity. Uh, my, my ex-Christian friends are not happy about that, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that they'll see the light one of these days. But one of the things they often say to us is, okay, you can't show me the seven laws. And I, I think that this is why we have to trust that if, if we do believe that, that, that uh, the people of Israel are a kingdom of priests, and it tells us right there in the Torah that they are, that, that we have to believe that they have had this Torah for over 3,300 years. They understand it. They understand the language it was written in, and that they have expanded on the laws in, in, by using it in their own courts. They haven't added to these laws, but they've been able to, to use these laws to adjudicate cases and things like that. But what I was going to say is, is, is I'm getting at the fact that the oral Torah is very specific about the fact that we have seven laws that we're to obey. And I don't know if you realize this, uh, Ray, but there are hints all through the Torah about the seven laws. And even in Genesis chapter 9, in, in Bereshit, when it speaks of God and the covenant that he makes with Noah and with all mankind, within between chapter uh, 9-8 to verse 9 of Genesis, bracketed within that story of the covenant that Hashem establishes with mankind, the word Brit, or covenant, appears exactly seven times. And I think that's remarkable, don't you? Well, it's certainly the, the hand of Hashem when you discover and have revelations on that that type of thing. And and I think for most of us who do and have come from a Christian background, it's it's very difficult for us because we do want to see things just kind of laid out very easily for us. And at the same time, we never really studied the Old Testament per se. It was always the New Testament and occasionally some of the prophets and some of the writings. But we never really got into a hardcore study of the Torah itself. And it's when you do that, that is when you begin to discover what Hashem had for us all the way back in Genesis. And that's when you start having the significant revelations that, wait a minute, we're not Christians at all. In fact, here is our truth right here. And on another uh, quick side note, regarding the seven laws, I just gave the basic seven. These, of course, are basically seven categories. The categories wind up breaking down into another 66, which actually wind up breaking up into thousands of laws that we need to ad adhere to with the sole purpose of being beneficial to each other, beneficial to our fellow man. It is indeed the only roadmap to peace that has any 
possibility for success. And, you know, these are some of the laws that uh, we hope to address, and we, we hope to enlighten people and enlarge on the text. But I, I think that every week we're going to want to reinforce the idea that, the, that these seven categories, even at their most basic uh, can, can change a person's life by simply observing them. And thank God, and I mean that, Baruch Hashem, uh, it seems as if civilized nations throughout history have, have embraced these seven laws just as they are stated. Now, if you'll permit me, Ray, I would like to uh, direct the conversation back to you and your organization. Now, we, we know that the Internet, which I believe is a, a, a blessing from Hashem, uh, and like all things given to mankind, it can be a blessing or a curse. But, but the blessing part of it is that there are, are probably literally hundreds of websites that provide information on the Sheva Mitzvot, the seven laws of Noah. But you specifically started an organization and a website, uh, which is the namesake for this show, called Noahide Nations. And I hope that our listeners don't mind every week if we talk a little bit about the work that you do, because uh, to use one of your words, uh, it's a very proactive resource. So if, if I'm seeking to learn about the Torah, I'm a non-Jew, and I want to learn the seven laws, and I want to learn Torah, how can Noahide Nations help me? What are the ways uh, Noahide Nations can help me? Well, that's one of the uh, beautiful things about uh, Hashem's creation, because I, I give all the honor and glory to Hashem, because certainly, little old me, I couldn't have come up with this on my own. And the real beautiful thing about it is, for example, if you want to just seek knowledge, you can go on to our website and there is an archive of hundreds of articles that you can read to study about virtually everything. And we do keep that updated with more and more articles. So that would just be a very basic first step. And along the way, while they're surfing through the website, uh, you talk about proactive. That's absolutely what it is, as well as interactive. Uh, there is a forum section. There are directories for singles, you know, Noahides, seeking other Noahides, uh, a Noahide business directory, even a communities directory. Uh, in fact, I have kind of a, an interesting story. We also have started the Noahide Nations Yahoo discussion group. And one of the people, uh, they, him and his wife, live up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And he, he writes that it's very, very cold and very, very lonely. And, you know, no one knows what the word Noahide even is. They've never heard of it. And they happen to come to Noahide Nations and placed an ad looking for community in their area. And lo and behold, somebody contacted them who also was visiting the Noahide Nation site and got into the community's directory. And it turns out that this gentleman actually lives in the same building with this husband and wife. Well, I guess that's what you call the hand of God. I, that, yeah, that's I, amazing. There's no other way. There's nothing else to call it. Yeah. That, that's exactly what it is. But it kind of gives you an idea that, uh, yes, there's a great deal of knowledge there, but there's also ways to communicate and, and find others uh, with uh, the directories. There's also a connections area uh, that people can literally communicate with other Noahides and even other Jewish people from around the world. So it's really, uh, as you said, the Internet has, has allowed 
uh, for amazing opportunities. Uh, and, and we, of course, have chosen the, the good side. And, of course, there is the bad. There's always the balance. But Noahide Nations is out there to be uh, a clearinghouse, if you will, of, of information, uh, provides a means, a vehicle in which to communicate with others, and quite frankly, based on this uh, story I just mentioned, find people right in your hometown that you didn't even know existed. Well, you know, for our next guest, Ray, if she had had no eyed nations or a similar website, I don't think she would have had near the problems that she encountered when she discovered Torah. So why don't you introduce our listeners to our, our next guest? Well, our, our first guest on the Noahide Nation's very first show is a gal by the name of Darla, who's from West Texas, and is going to be talking to us about her road uh, to becoming a Noahide, and in particular with this time of year that we're rolling right into with the secular holidays, she's come up with a rather interesting solution to uh, what wound up being quite a dilemma, yeah. uh, kind of a roller coaster ride that we've all been on. Yeah. Uh, so let me just bring her right on in here. Uh, Darla, welcome to the show, and let's go ahead and start off with a quick question. Darla, please share with the audience, how did you discover the seven Noahide laws? Well... I didn't really start out with knowing anything about the seven laws or Torah. Um, I, along with my husband, had begun to feel, for some unknown reason to either of us, uneasy about church. We had always, I grew up in a church, my husband did not, um, and we raised our children in church. But as our children were getting grown, our youngest one was in high school, and for some reason, she was actually in a Christian high school, and we began feeling uneasy about church. Nothing happened. We weren't mad. Nobody hurt our feelings, but it just didn't feel exactly like it was accomplishing anything in our lives. We weren't doing, I mean, we were going, we were participating, but it wasn't doing anything for us. So we got where we just kind of didn't want to go, and we talked about quitting, but we felt trapped because we didn't want our neighbors to see our car stop going on Sundays. <laughs> we had always gone on Sundays, and we didn't want them to think we were backsliders, so we were a little trapped, we felt. But uh, I had begun going to some kind of out-of-the-way Bible studies that were kind of off the wall, off the cuff, not your typical Bible study. And this was just prior to the Y2K preparation thing, and there was a lot going on in the United States. And um, I had my mind a little bit more open than I had in the past uh, to listen to some things. So for people at this Bible study, one of the Bible studies, and I just so happened to need someone to help me work in my home, and one of the ladies needed a job, so that worked out real well. And she would not work on Friday afternoon. I don't care what I needed done. She would work all week, the best worker I ever had, but come noon on Friday, she was out of there. She would not work. And so I was always curious about that, you know, and so finally after several months, I asked her, why don't you ever want to work on Friday afternoon? And she said words that I had never heard, like she had to get ready for Shabbat and she had to bake challah and different words that I'd never heard. Well, you know, I'm like, well, okay, whatever. 
So finally I said, well, what is this Shabbat? And what is this challah? And what is this? And she explained to me that she was baking a special kind of bread for their family's Sabbath celebration. And she had to spend all Friday afternoon doing these things and cleaning the house and getting a special meal ready. So I was like, well, the bread's not going to be fresh on Sunday. <laughs> and yeah. she's like, uh, Sabbath is not on Sunday. That was really the first I'd ever heard of anything. And I don't know that she's actually formally Noahide. I don't know. She just She's a Sabbath keeper, her and her family. That's all I know. I don't think that they're actually Noahides or even know anything about it. Maybe by now, because I'm not in contact with her anymore. So so you really but don't... That, can I ask you, uh, Darla, so it, you still don't know whether she was Jewish or Noahide or, or what? She was not Jewish. She had grown up in a Baptist family. Wow. She, I mean, she never said the word Noahide to me after some of our further discussions after this initial discussion. Yeah. That's why I don't think that at that time she was you know, part of the Noahide movement. She may have been, but she never mentioned it. And I feel like she would have used that term because she didn't hesitate to use other terms. So um, I, I feel like she was just a Sabbath keeper, but I don't know how she came to that or anything about it. But she was the one that introduced those terms to me, and that's how I came to know about that. So to continue on, I, uh, you know, I was like, well, that's so weird. And so I went to our public library because at the time I didn't have a computer or anything. I didn't know anybody anywhere other than people that went to church or heathens. That's all I knew, <laughs> you know. And so <laughs> and uh, so I went to the public library and I tried to find information. And the only information I found was on Judaism. I didn't find anything other than just Judaism that fit this thing. So I just started checking out books and reading that, and we didn't know how to do it, but we were trying to do Sabbaths, and, you know, we we were just doing that. And then God, in his wonderful way of doing things, sent us an Orthodox rabbi, which I won't say his name, but he Is, is he heard on this network? No, oh, he is okay. not. <laughs> uh, and he does not work with the Noahide movement. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that I know of. He may, mm-hmm. but he is he's a, he's a rabbi, a, fa- a husband, a father, and lives in Jerusalem. Uh, he teaches in a yeshiva. And he was here in Lubbock for some medical conditions to be here in our um, hospitals. And so he... Um, I, I got a call from a Catholic friend of mine who knew that I kept Sabbath and kosher because in that period of time, I had studied kosher and we had turned our house kosher. So this rabbi and his family needed some help with kosher food uh, while they were here in the hospital area. So I uh, I took food out to him and we got to know him and he began teaching us. And that was the first time I'd ever met a Jew. That's the first time I'd certainly ever met a rabbi. And he was quite intrigued with what was going on because in that period of time, there had come sort of a little group of us together that just God put us all on each other's path, and that's another whole show. But anyway, there was a little group of us at the time that was kind of studying together. None of us knew the term Noahide. But this rabbi was the first one that actually introduced us to this book, and I think it was called um, it's something about a rainbow. I don't remember. But anyway, he... Is that the he rain, rainbow consult- covenant, maybe? 
Yeah, maybe it was. I don't remember the exact book, but he had consulted with his rabbis back in Israel because he didn't know what to do with a group of people like us who were (laughs) doing these things, you know. And so that's kind of the first official teaching that I ever had. And it's just kind of gone from there (laughs) to where we are today. Well, uh, uh, it sounds, Darla, like, the, the beginning steps for you were similar to mine and probably Jim's and probably a great many uh, Noahides out there today. And that's that we all seem to have had this feeling that something wasn't right and nothing had gone on in, in the church. There was no you know, uh, uh, controversy or anything that would have caused this to happen. And uh, you know, later on, I, I kind of felt that Hashem was just reaching into my heart and, and telling me that this isn't right. And now it's up to you to find out what is right. And, and I know that that's how it seems to start for a lot of folks, particularly those who uh, here in the United States are, are part of Christianity. And I think the main focus for my wife and I, and it sounds like you and your husband too, that you were really searching for the truth, not really caring where it fell, but wanting to know where that truth was. And when when we finally came to it, it was startling and, and quite a roller coaster ride, uh, and and it, it was it was actually a wonderful and joyous time and painful at the same time because as as you well know and as many know that when we try to relay this experience and the 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 new discovery that we have and we're so excited about it, you try to relay that to your family suddenly that excitement isn't there anymore. Is that kind of what you experienced as well? Yes, absolutely. In fact, it was quite surprising and quite heartbreaking because, you know, at first we didn't really talk about it because we didn't really know, well, are we getting off in some crazy cult or, you know, and that's what we've been accused of many times over the years. So at first we really were kind of cautious because, you know, when you're in traditional Christianity, you're pretty much brainwashed as so far as you're going to go to yeah. hell if you do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or think the wrong thing or ask the wrong question. So we were pretty cautious, but but we knew. We just knew. I don't even know how to explain we knew. We just did. That's a great place to stop, and we're going to hold everybody in suspense because we want to hear what you have to say. But we've got to take a break for the news coming up right this moment. And on the other side of the news, Darla... Uh, Ray and I want to hear your story about how you dealt with your family and how they dealt with you and your transition into uh, the realm of Torah and uh, being an Noahide and uh, celebrating the holidays and or not celebrating the holidays. And we're going to hear that answer coming up right after this. Forty days straight at the Western Wall in Jerusalem is a famous Jewish practice. Many have made the pilgrimage to pray for marriage, income, children, or healing. Now you too can have a forty-day prayer. 
Western Wall Prayers will employ a full-time Torah student to pray on your behalf or on behalf of a loved one for 40 days straight at the Wall. If you need a special prayer, visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org. Welcome back to Noahide Nations. Uh, Jim Long here with Ray Patterson and our special guest, Darla, out in West Texas. And right before the break, Ray, we were having a conversation with Darla about, uh, that I think a lot of people can relate with, about the upcoming holidays. Uh, I, I know I'm excited. Jim's excited. I'm sure the listeners are anxious to hear about your walk through this particular circumstance of dealing with the secular holidays. So can you tell us a little about that? From... The very beginning, when I mentioned earlier this this lady that worked for me and she introduced us to this different concept than we had ever had, from the beginning then, well, I'll never forget the night, she, she loaned us a video, and it was actually a video about the paganism in almost all the holidays that Americans celebrate, both secular and Christian, <clears throat> and my husband didn't watch that video, but my college-age son and my high school-age daughter and I watched it, and it was complete silence in the room through the video. And and afterwards, my son said, I'm just so mad. We've just de- de- devoted our entire lives to lies. I mean, you know, right out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> yeah, and, right. and, it, and it's true. We were very upset about the whole thing. But we knew immediately that if there was a wrong way to do it, that we'd been doing it wrong, that there was a right way to do it. And by do it, I don't mean holidays. I mean living our lives. And so we knew that we didn't understand what the right way was at that point, but we knew what the wrong way was. So the very following Saturday, my daughter and I cleaned out the entire house, the attic, the closets, the drawers, everything, and we dumpstered every holiday thing that we had. We were completely cleaned out of everything. So we never really had heard of the biblical holidays, God's holidays or anything at that time, but we just knew, well, we couldn't do the other ones anymore, so we didn't know what to do. We knew we had a lot to learn. So we kind of just moved on in our lives slowly, and I was really excited yet dreading speaking to my Christian family, my parents and my sisters about this, because we'd always been together with holidays and everything had been really exciting and a big holiday time, special time for our family. So I wanted to let them know well in advance that we wouldn't be there that year. So several months prior to Christmas, um, I spent some time with my mother and sisters and I, and I really didn't think that they would take it as badly as they did because <laughs> I wouldn't have, I don't know if I would have done it or not. I probably would know knowing me. But I told them that we had been studying some things and that we had discovered some problems in some of the holidays and some of the things that we had been doing. So we just had decided that we wouldn't be doing that anymore. So don't put our name in the Christmas basket because we're not going to be exchanging gifts. We're not even going to be there. Well... Things just sort of deteriorated as far as my family at that point because after that, everything was, it was just really, really bad because no one wanted to speak to me. I couldn't see my nieces and nephews. My family Mm. didn't want me around for any family Mm. holidays or anything at all, not even to see me anymore, which really was a shock to me because they love God with all their heart just the same as I do. They just 
did not at that point understand what we were doing and they were fighting for us. I mean, you know, if one of my kids came home and said they joined Islam or something, I'd freak out. So that's <laughs> equal to what my parents feared. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that, but they were really afraid of what was going on with us. It's kind of like going through a, a tragedy of sorts, uh, having to live Absolutely, through it. Yeah, it, it, it really was. So we just... You know, we didn't know what to do, so we just didn't have it. it was that first year that we didn't do Christmas was the weirdest day probably I can remember because we had always been real big into the holidays, and then all of a sudden here's this just that's a day. We're not doing anything, and we don't know anything else. I'd never even heard of Hanukkah at that time. Yeah. So we didn't, you know, we didn't compare it to, oh, it's like that or anything. We just didn't do anything. We just, the day came and went, and it was done, you know. But, um as, as time went, you know, we did not have peace in our family. And that's one thing that my own personal dear rabbi, who is Rabbi Chaim Richmond from there in Jerusalem, he is my teacher and my rabbi. And he says that it's so important to keep peace in the home and peace in the family. Right. That that's so important to do. And I did not do it. I don't know if I... With my personality, I don't know how I could have done it because I'm just, I'm very straight down the line, black and white. And to me, I couldn't, for me personally, I could not participate in any way. Did this, did this affect it's, your family relationships like through the through the rest of the year now after this happened? Oh, yes. Oh. Yes, it did. I mean, for several years there was no relationship whatsoever. Uh, several of my sisters didn't want to speak to me. It, it was not just the holiday. It, it completely disrupted our relationship in every way. That's why I don't know if doing it the way I did it would be recommended by me because it's so cold, drastic so for the, some people. Instead of Christmas turkey, it was, it was cold turkey. <laughs> yes, it was. It was definitely that. But I have to say, on the other hand, too, that even in all of my sadness and grief with that, I still had such joy and peace because I knew that for myself and for my family, we were doing the right thing. It was such a mixed, bitter, sweet thing because we were having the time of our life learning God's ways, yet we had to make that stand so seriously to stand against what our family believed in. And that was so difficult, yet with every baby step we took, God held us up and he helped us to move forward. He how didn't did, push us. Yeah. How did you How did you sort of mend fences with the family? I mean, how did have they come around now? They have. Baruch Hashem. Um, we just kept on and on doing what we were doing and kind of ignoring them. And after a while, after several years, I called my sister and asked if we could come for Thanksgiving because all the family would be together for Thanksgiving because I had done research and looked and looked and I couldn't find anything pagan or wrong or against God or against Torah with Thanksgiving. Right. And so I asked if we could come for Thanksgiving because I had two grown children by that time and they here and um, all of my siblings and their children and spouses and my parents. So we went. We went to Thanksgiving. But I really wanted it to be a kind of a breakthrough, I guess. 
and I wrote letters to each of my family members telling how much that they meant to me and how thankful I was that they were in my life and that they were part of my life and what they meant to me. And I shopped so carefully that year to choose special gifts that I thought that each family member would really appreciate, something that was very personal to them. And I wrapped up the presents and wrote letters, and here we go off to my sister's to Thanksgiving with gifts. And when we get there, all the little kids are like, why are we having gifts? What's presents? And my family's like, we didn't bring gifts. What's going on? And I'm like, you know what? I'm so thankful today, and I'm just so overjoyed. And this is going to be my new tradition because I'm really famous for forgetting birthdays. <laughs> and okay. I was like, this is when I'm going to give presents. When we're together for Thanksgiving, we can all get along and agree and have a good time. And, you know, it was such an amazing day that day. That was that really was kind of the breakthrough. And it wasn't the gift. It was just that we were celebrating a holiday together as a family again. And it was it was just like it had always been. Well, it was almost like and you I, were celebrating. It was, you know, Darla, in a way, this is something, a real lesson that we see that you that you did, uh, you know, uh, as you were encouraged by, by Rabbi Richmond, who's such a special person anyway, is, you, you know, in a way, if I can be bold, you were kind of celebrating the family. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. And it was such a special day and a special time. And that brought a new shalom, peace, love back to each of our hearts that we, I mean, it's like some of that bitterness because, I mean, I had become bitter too. I mean, they were mean to me and even though I was doing the right thing, I was still, I'm a human, you know, <laughs> I was hurt and I was still bitter and we didn't have so much peace and that day just bathed our hearts, all of us, in, in a peace and a love that we needed. And, of course, it didn't change overnight automatically because then here it comes, you know, they're still doing their holidays and we're still doing ours at that time, and you know, and even now. But less and less animosity was between us as time has come, come through these years. Now they're more understanding. Now they're actually curious. Now some of them even may celebrate somewhat a little bit along with us. Um, some you, of them have under our sukkah, and we, we've celebrated one Hanukkah together, and not everybody in the family was there or happy about it, but there's less and less animosity and suspicion. And they do understand now that... Christianity and Noahide and Judaism is not enemies, that God is God and that he has ways for us to live and that we all have to work together to get to understand it. And we, that's what we're all doing, and we're not all in the same place. But my family well, is amazing. Well, you know, uh, Darla, this is a, just such a, a wonderful, happy story. I, and I, I also find it very ironic that uh, I'm sure both you and your husband and your your other family members and the grandkids, everybody was hurting on Christmas and on Easter, those those normal times for the big gatherings. And I find it ironic that it would be another holiday, 
Thanksgiving that actually started the healing process in you and in your family. And, and for me, that just, I'm sitting here with goosebumps, just sitting here listening to you tell this story and, and sharing it because it is, it is so important that you, number one, stood up for Hashem, for what you believe in, and did not back away from that. And yes, it was difficult, and it was you know a, a long extended period of difficulty. And yet, when the healing finally came, I could just sense in your voice a joy in, in you just sharing that with us, a sharing uh, a joy in your voice that the healing had begun then. And yes, it didn't happen overnight, but it is continuing to happen to the point that guess what, now they're curious. And now when they start asking you questions, I'm sure you've got a thing or two to talk to them about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one thing that I would recommend to anyone who's listening and anyone who is having any of these thoughts about the holidays and everything, it is so crucial not to be critical of what they're doing in any way whatsoever. I mean, even if you don't mean it to be critical, it sounds critical to them. So it's very, very important that we, the ones of us who have chosen to go this other way that we consider God's way, you know, we have to be so careful not to come across as judgmental or you're still doing it wrong or we have to be so very very careful in our attitudes towards what they're doing um well the way the way of the the you know darla that we're, we're told by the sages in different places that the the ways of the torah are our peace you know yes. and and you've done something that that has always worked for for our family and and our you know sort of interaction with with uh the others in our family, even friends, is is the we've always found the best course was as you said, not to be critical, but to uh, in some ways to to raise up Torah, and it's going to draw it's going to draw people to to Hashem. Right. I'm kind of curious how. Well, long, it, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'm so, I, well, I was just going to say it's so funny to me because last year my mom just out of the clear blue said to me, she said. Well, last Sunday in our Sunday school class, we were we were studying uh, the book of Esther, and we were reading about Queen Esther and everything, and she said, and I told them, you know, Purim is this coming week, and the Jews have this tradition of bringing food to each other on Purim, so if anybody wants to bring me a chocolate cake, that'd be just <laughs> fine with me. And she was laughing, and she actually took her calendar that I had given her, that she had requested, <laughs> and she took her calendar and read to them what the, calen the Jewish calendar had to say about Purim. So it's just these seemingly small things that are really, really huge in our family. They still celebrate their holidays, yet they're very open to what we're doing, and they're not as critical, and they do see that there's an importance in it. So, you know, who knows how many more years they may do it. <laughs> do, do, you mind, do, do you mind me asking uh, how, uh, how far into, for instance, Hanukkah do, do you and your, your immediate family take it? Do you uh, completely, fully observe it as you know how to? Or... 
Yeah, I'm a little bit different than a lot of people. I never did really want my grandchildren, when they get to come and be here with us and our children and other people, because we usually have a big people, a big celebration for everything. We have a lot of people come to our home for almost all the holidays. But um, I never really wanted the kids to focus on the – we don't do gifts because, mm-hmm. to me, the gifts seems too much like a substitute Christmas. I have no idea if that's true or not, but when I was in Israel for Hanukkah, it was completely not like what I see Hanukkah here. We do play the dreidel game and we talk about it, but mostly I really want the kids to – to understand the importance of the victory and what the victory for the Maccabees meant to all the world, right. uh, Christians, everyone, because had they not won that victory, it wouldn't. We wouldn't be sitting here doing this. I mean, exactly. you know, it would be a completely different world. But I never really went into the Christmas. I mean, to the gift giving and that sort of thing. We like we like to Hanukkah every night with the blessings. And we sing songs, and we make little decorations, and, you know, we, we have celebratory feelings, and we have fun times for the whole the whole week. But we I didn't really ever want the kids to start getting presents and thinking that's just a... The neighbor kids are getting Christmas presents. We're getting Hanukkah presents. I didn't go that way. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people we know do with little kids. But, see, you have to keep in mind, too, my children were grown by the time we came into this. People that have little children, they probably have a lot more difficult decisions to make in some of these kinds of areas. Right. But we celebrate all the holidays. Um pretty much like our Jewish friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, Darla, I see by the clock on the wall that we're rapidly running out of time, and uh, I thought I'd ask, Ray, Ray do you want to uh, close things out and, and ask one more question before we do run out of time? Well, actually, I'm afraid if I ask another question, we might be here for another half an hour. Right. And, and I know time's not going to allow that, so I'm, I'm not going to uh, torture our listeners by asking a question <laughs> and not getting a, a complete response. But what I would like to say uh, to Darla is, is what you've done is just absolutely incredible. I think it has helped a great many people uh, today, you sharing your story and, and, and sharing Sharing with, with us how you resolved and began the, the healing of this whole situation. And all I can say is, Baruch Hashem, may you continue to be a light for your family because it sounds like they're starting to reach towards the light. And that's what I would like to, to, to say to you is just continue to be the light. Darla, we, you probably have touched upon this, uh, it seems, in much of your talk with us, but if you had one last thing, uh, one important concrete thing to express to other Noahides out there who are making this transition uh, into the holiday period, uh, what concrete advice would you give them how, how to deal with the upcoming holidays as Noahides? My concrete advice to all Noahides would be Look at the holidays, even if you can't if you can't participate in them at this time, at least study them and acknowledge when they are. <clears throat> Try your best to keep peace with your extended family members somehow or another. And above all, remember that God is in control, and if we keep looking to him for our strength and studying and moving forward even 
any inch by inch that we will do the right thing. The holidays are such an important part of the way that he he directs our lives. So it's important for us, we can, to share that with people that don't know that yet. But above all, keep peace. And study, 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 <laughs> and Beautiful. celebrate. Yeah. Well, you know, Darla, I, I salute your bravery, and I salute your integrity and, and your love of Hashem. And you, uh, uh, I think that uh, many of our listeners today have really uh, been encouraged and will continue to be encouraged by, by your example. And uh, I know Ray would, would probably like to express some final thoughts uh, in this conversation. What do you think, Ray? Well, I think it's uh, wonderful, and quite frankly, I wish we had uh, a, a time to, to bring ten other people on to uh, share in, in, in this uh, story and, and share their testimonies with us, because I know that we've all had to experience, uh, to some degree, uh, this sort of circumstance which brings difficulty into our lives. And I guess that's where, really where the rubber meets the road. You're, you really find out who you are in Hashem. And, and Darla, I, I, I like Jim, uh, have to agree, uh, and I salute you as well for the steps that you have taken, uh, the, the sticking to those steps for Hashem's truth. And uh, we certainly hope that you'll come back and, and share some more with us. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Ray, that's the kind of conversation that I hope that we can share with our listeners in the upcoming shows on No Hide Nations, this new show that you're listening to right here on Israel National Radio. Uh, in addition to talking to people like Darla in the upcoming weeks, we're going to be talking to rabbis, uh, to authors, and other fascinating guests. And one of the things that we're also going to try to do is we're going to try to answer your questions, whether they are of a halakhic nature or whether uh, just curiosity. Whatever your questions, you can write to either Ray or myself uh, right here at Eretz Sheva. And uh, you can address those questions individually or collect- collectively to us, and uh, we will attempt to answer them either on the air or we will respond to you uh, via email. So, Ray, if, if the listeners want to ask us questions, uh, how will they contact us? In fact, let's start with uh, how they'll contact you. Well, uh, my email address is ray at israelnationalradio.com. That's right. And you can write to me, Jim at israelnationalradio.com, and we'd love to see your emails. And in the meantime, before we say these last few words, I want to express my gratitude once again for the wonderful people at Israel National Radio for asking us to be a part of their team. And, Ray, uh, uh, to you, sir, uh, I want to tell you that I've really enjoyed it, and I look forward to next week. Well, Jim, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and I look forward to this long association here on INR. And to the folks who joined us to listen to our very first show, let me just share with you, always, always look to the heavens, regardless of the circumstance you are living in right now as we speak. Look to God, because, my friends, God is always looking after you. 